Thank you, worship team. Appreciate your ministry this morning. Get a message candy. Keep me from coughing. Uh, I didn't bring out the dreidel. Dreidels were, are used at Hanukkah as well, but uh, it's like, I don't know if I should really tell the kids about it. You know what a dreidel does? So you spin the dreidel, and you put your money down, and if it lands on a certain one, you can double your money or lose your money. It's somewhat of a gambling thing. And I know it's like, really? That's what, yes, that's what it is. Wherever it lands, it's, um, uh, you know, anyway. Another dreidel for, that's, uh, that's a Jewish tradition. Well, in our series, we've been looking at the other birth narratives. That's been the series for this Advent season. Looking at who is this Jesus? Now, sometimes he's out there in front of all the seasonal voices. Other times, Jesus is kind of hidden amongst all the toys and glitter. Now, there are some other nativity stories. They're a little more obscure than the accounts in Matthew and Luke. But these verses are just as impacting. So today's talk, we're going to focus on one verse in Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. That was the Roman province of Asia where Turkey is today. Now I'm calling it in the nick of time. Have you ever used that expression? You know, that someone arrived in the nick of time or it happened in the nick of time. We're going to uh, kind of look in, at that this morning. But first, let's listen to the lyrics of Bonnie Rayet's song from a, a number of years ago about finding love in the nick of time of time. Love in the nick of time. Now, here's a news magazine cartoon from 1951. There are some nighttime burglars. Mom and dad are tied up, and young Jimmy comes in, and he uh, throws his knife at the man's gun and puts it to the wall, and he arrives in the nick of time. It's called nick of time. And uh, we kind of have that, that idea, arriving in the nick of time. So where did it, where'd, that, where'd that saying come from? And what on earth is a nick in time? Ever wondered? I've wondered. So I went on the internet, and here's what we found out. The meaning is just in time or at the precise moment. Now, the origin of the nick in time actually goes back to the 16th century, and they would talk of arriving at pudding time. So you've got to be a Brit British for this, pudding time. 
See, pudding was a dish served first at medieval mealtimes. So you'd come, and the first thing you would get would be a pudding. Now, the pudding would be a savory dish, something in the form of a sausage or haggis. Ever had haggis? It's great stuff. Oh, no. And uh, that, would be, that was a pudding. But during the 16th century, pudding began to be used at the end of the meal, and it consisted of sweet dishes. So to this day, if you talk to a Britisher from England, and they'll say, what's, what's for pudding? And the pudding means dessert. And so the pudding kind of went at the end. But when it was at the beginning of the meal, you had just got to the castle, and you just sat down at the big banquet. If you just arrived just as they were serving the haggis or the sausage or the pudding. And so you arrived at pudding time. And so, you know, it's not really cool to come just at pudding time. You should be a little bit more. You know, it's courteous to be there earlier. So you get the idea. So what's with the nick? Now, where did nick come from? Well, the nick was a notch or small cut, and it was synonymous with precision. Notches were used on tally sticks. So you can see a picture there of a tally stick. And the tally stick was used to keep score of goods, land, and services. So that whole idea of keeping score, keeping tally, goes back to the tally sticks. When people didn't have, well, people couldn't write many times, and so the tradespeople, the, the shop owners, they would keep a tally stick. And they would put notches on it to the amount of stuff you had. And if you actually sold part of your stock or sold part of your interest in the stock, you would split the stocks or split the shares, and that's what it's called, splitting uh, shares, uh, sharing the two matching halves as a record of a deal, the banker and the lender. Well, watches and the strings of musical instruments also had that nick, and so over the years that nick meant uh, something on an instrument as well, and you would keep and pre-mark these nicks to keep them in proper order, so your guitar would have the nick on them and to keep it in proper order. In the nick, now in England you would expect someone to be found in prison if you say in the nick. In the Scots, they would picture him in a valley between two hills, the nick. The Australians, if you were in the nick, you would expect him to be naked. However, Shakespeare and his contemporaries, if someone is in the very nick, they were at the precise place at the precise time. They were in the precise nick on the stick. The tally stick is what Shakespeare. And that's kind of where we have got it from, someone to be there in the nick of time. At Christmas, we see that Jesus came in the nick of time, at the very precise place in history. In God's view, it was in the very nick. Teaches us about how God does all things very well in his time. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5 is our theme verse this morning. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. When the set time had fully come, in the nick of time. 
1976. I was 21 years old. I was engaged to Sandra, and I had just finished working three years at Croft and Pulp and Paper. Now I was doing my first year at our Bible college in Vancouver, Northwest. It was the first Tuesday of classes, and I had a three-hour evening class with Professor Vern Middleton, one of our missionaries who had just returned from a number of years in India. New Testament Survey 100. Very first class, we were given an essay to write for the next week. And the very first essay was on this verse, Galatians 4.4, when the set time had fully come. And the question was, why was 4 B.C., or 6 B.C., somewhere in there, why was that the right time for Jesus to come? Of all the millennia, of all the centuries, of all the decades of history, why that particular time? You know, we had one week to do the essay. We handed it in at the beginning of the next class, and then Vern lectured on that and gave us all the right answers, which was really frustrating when you're going, I, oh, I didn't know about that one and that one. So anyways, I'm going to give you <laughs> what I learned in that lecture. Every time I see Galatians 4, I think about that class with Vern Middleton. Christmas is about God's sovereign timing. God is aware of everything in our lives. God is aware of everything. We, we go to Ecclesiastes, and you remember that song, and uh, it, was, it wasn't the song in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes wrote it, and the birds wrote a song about it. And uh, if you watch Ed Sullivan reruns, you get to see it every once in a while. There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven. Time to be born, a time to die, time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. Time to be silent, time to speak, a time for war, a time for peace. And then in verse 11 it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. God is aware of everything in our lives and God has set eternity in our hearts. God is aware about every moment of your life and my life. He knows the seconds of our life. Everything is appropriate in its time. So how does that relate to Christmas? Luke 2.7 says that uh, she gave birth to her first son. God becomes human. Christ was fully human. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in claws, placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It speaks of humanity, a very human person, Mary, giving birth to a very human body, Jesus. And it speaks of the humanity of Christ, a human mother, a human baby, humanity. God becomes human. It says, though, that God sent forth his son in Galatians 4. And that's divinity, a divine father, God being born in the flesh. God sent his son born of a woman born under the law. These two verses give us the theology of the incarnation of Christ, which is God becoming flesh. Human yet divine, divine and human. The Son of God becoming the Son of Man that we who are the sons of man can become the sons of God. It says that we are adopted into God's family. When the fullness of time had come, when the timing of God in the eternal plan, God was able to see us in our moments. God is able to see us in the whole scope 
of eternity. And he saw this as the right time. Now, I think if you were talking to Mary, the timing of Christ's birth was all wrong because her marriage had not yet been consummated. God's timing in her life was very inconvenient. You know, the daily interaction of God in lives, we, we sometimes go, this isn't the right time for that to happen in my lifetime, in my life. You know, this was not the right time for her to have a child. She hadn't even completed the marriage with Joseph yet. It wasn't the right time for the birth of her firstborn. The birth of her child was going to be in occupied territory. It was going to be in Bethlehem. They weren't even going to be at home where there was security. It was a place that was occupied by others. And the Romans were in control of the area. Jews were not in control. The timing of Christ's birth was wrong because the census had disrupted their plans. It had totally disrupted all their plans. She was planning on having the baby in Nazareth with her family and her friends. Now the census uprooted them. They had to go to another place way down south in another province, about 120 miles away. Now that would take a few days to go, and she, in her condition of fully uh, coming to full term, it was very inconvenient. The timing of Christ's birth was wrong because there was no support system. It was a strange town. Never been there before. Strange town, strange people, strange places. Away from mom, away from her sisters, away from the family. All the support that you want in the birth of a child, especially your first one. The timing of Christ's birth was wrong because the housing situation was inadequate. There was no room for them to stay. Whether it was at the inn or at a relative's place, all they could find is the cattle stall with a stone manger. Mary, what do you think about the timing of God for the birth of the Christ child? Mary would say, it doesn't seem to be the right time. Now, I can relate to that. I'm sure you can too. There's all kinds of things that God has done, circumstances that come into my life that I go, this isn't the right time for this. It's just not time. Why now? All we get is one little picture of an incredibly eternal puzzle. We get one piece of the puzzle as we live our lives. Now that doesn't make one bit of sense. You have probably thought that to yourself. You've prayed to God about it. You've probably complained to God about it numerous times. But let's look at this. In the light of prophecy, the timing was perfect. Because the Old Testament said the Messiah would emerge victorious in the fullness of time, in the nick of time, at the precise time, the Old Testament thoughts concerning the birth of Christ. The Old Testament said the Messiah would emerge victorious. If you go back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when they sinned against God, God says, don't worry, I've got a plan. And we have the very first prophecy about Messiah. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel as he says this to Satan. In the light of prophecy, the timing was perfect. Because the Old Testament said the Messiah would come from the nation of Israel. And here we have the Israel coming back together as a nation after the dispersion during uh, the Babylonian captivity. They are back. They are a nation. They are known as Israel. They are the Jewish people. 
And it says, God spoke to Abraham. Now this goes way back to Genesis. God spoke to Abraham concerning his descendants and said, all peoples of earth will be blessed through you. So it was coming through Abraham. It was coming through Israel. And specifically, it came from the tribe of Judah. Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. Jacob had gathered his 12 sons together and he began to prophesy concerning their future. And he brought his fourth son in, Judah. And it said that the scepter would never be taken out of the hand of Judah. Messiah would be born out of the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49.10, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. Not only would it come from Judah, it would come from the house of David. Messiah would come from the house of David. Ten centuries, ten centuries before Jesus is born, David wanted to build a temple. God said, no, you're a warrior. Your son Solomon will build a temple. And David was disappointed. God said, but let me tell you something, David. It will be from your house and your lineage that the Messiah will come. 2 Samuel 7. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. First coming to pass in Solomon's day, but really focusing on Messiah. It says that Messiah would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7:14. the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And Matthew picks that up and says that is the fulfillment. Jesus is a fulfillment of that prophecy. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Matthew also says, he said even Herod, as uh, they were looking at where would the Messiah be born, Herod's uh, advisors and the prophets at that time, uh, the rabbis at that time said, it'll be in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. The Messiah would be visited and honored by wise men. Isaiah 60, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. <coughs> Excuse me. Isaiah predicted that and prophesied, and so did the psalmist. So in light of prophecy, the timing of God was at the right place and the right time. Thirdly, in the light of history, the timing was perfect. In the light of history, it was the nick of time. Paul said in Galatians 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. There were so many historical things that make the timing of God just right for his birth. The first was, the spreading out of the Jewish people in the Mediterranean basin, the diaspora, the dispersion. The birth of Christ happened during the dispersion. Jewish people were not just in Israel. They, because of the Babylonian captivity, they were all throughout the empire. And you would say, well, so what? There were worshipers of God in all kinds of communities, definitely in the big cities, but also in little towns. If they would have all stayed in the same place in Israel, 
the evangelism would have stayed right there in Judea. But God says, before I allow my son to be born into this world, I'm going to spread these Jewish people out through all the communities of the Roman Empire. And so where did the Apostle Paul go when he went to tell the good news about Jesus? He went to every Jewish community. That's where he started. And they were all throughout the empire. And not only Paul, but all the apostles, they went out. And where did they start? They started in the Jewish synagogues because they would understand what they were talking about. They would know the prophecies. They would know about Messiah. And from there, it spread. Not only was uh, the spreading out of the Jewish people, it was a very favorable legal environment. For the first time in history, the Roman Empire had all kinds of people that they had conquered. It was a massive empire. But there were different nationalities, different peoples, different religions. And Rome was quite tolerant towards all these different religions. You could practice whatever you want. You could be whatever you want. It was okay. With one exception. All religious sects and groups were to proclaim Caesar as God. They were very intolerant. If you were under the rule, you had to say Caesar was God. Now that worked with every religious sect except the Jewish people. The Jewish people would never do that. And they never would do that. They died for that not doing it. So after decades of killing and intimidation, Rome finally said, okay, we will grant an exemption with the Jewish people. Jewish people only do not have to proclaim Caesar as God. Birth of the baby Jesus, for the first 40 years after the death of Jesus, the Roman Empire never did distinguish the difference between Jewish people and Christianity. It wasn't until the destruction of Jerusalem that they realized it was coming into two different groups. So Christianity flourished under the Jewish protection. Christianity was being birthed and growing in all these little communities, and they were allowed the exemption. When they realized that Christianity and Judaism weren't essentially the same thing, it had already taken root in the Roman Empire to a place where they could never pull it out again. The timing was perfect because there was also a favorable political climate. Julius Caesar was the best-known Roman Empire, and there was more civil war under Julius Caesar than any other Roman emperor. It was a pretty violent time. But as Augustus Caesar came to the throne 25 years before Christ, peace broke out in the Roman Empire called the Pax Romania. And so for the next two centuries... Instead of the Roman Empire doing battle all the time internally, they started to work through the empire, building roads. The speed of travel increased dramatically. They took care of the safety on the people on the roads. The highway patrol began with the Roman army posts. It was safe to go back and forth and travel. The spreading of the good news was incredibly fast. It's somewhat like the shift that happened when we had the internet, all of a sudden we know everything about the world because of the internet. Well, in the Roman times, because of Pax Romania, because of the roads, you could move from place to place. So the Apostle Paul was able to go all over the empire very quickly and safely. 
and the gospel spread. There was also a very favorable cultural climate. All language was the same for the very first time since the Tower of Babel. All spoke or understood to some extent the same language, Greek, because of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, he had a great vision of Hellenization, and for the few years that he actually lived, he started the spread of Greek culture to the world, to the, to the empire at the time. By the time Jesus was born, everyone spoke or was at least acquainted with Koine Greek, common Greek language. All the New Testament is written in common Greek. Everybody could pick it up and understand exactly what was said. Otherwise, you would have had Galatians and Ephesians written in Turkish. Corinthians and Thessalonians would be in Greek. Romans would be in Italian. Hebrews would be in Hebrew. But now it was all in Koine. It was a universal language. People understood each other in the empire. It was also a favorable philosophical environment. You know, the old Greek philosophers, the Greeks were great on philosophy. Plato, Aristotle, Socrates. Now, they had done a better job at raising questions than giving answers. The polytheism, the belief in many gods, was really beginning to shift at this time that Jesus was born. People were kind of going, eh, it doesn't make total sense. The philosophers were constantly questioning that. Christianity came in like a cleansing breeze in society. The Greek philosophers had plowed the fields, but they didn't sow any seed. Christianity came into those cultivated, fertile, plowed mines and began to sow the seed of Christ, not just Jewish, but into all the Gentile, all the other nations. Very often, Paul would go to a synagogue, and there would be the Jewish people, but then there would be the God-fearers, people from other nations who came and said, we like this idea of one God. Tell us about him. Christmas is about God's timing in our lives. It's about the coincidences, providence, the census, going to Jerusalem, all the little coincidences and circumstances that happen in our lives. One of the greatest things about going to heaven is that we're going to be see how God used all these little things to bring about his purpose. Christopher Columbus, remember that guy? Christopher Columbus was very discouraged one day, and he walked by a monastery. He was thirsty. So he went into the monastery for a drink of water. And there was an old monk there, and he listened to this young man's story, how he wanted to go on an expedition to find another land. Well, Christopher went on his way, but that old monk was a personal friend of Queen Isabella. He was the one who convinced the queen to finance the expedition. And the discovery or the rediscovery of the Americas started with a drink of water in a monastery. Abraham Lincoln was out in the back of his store. He had a little store and he was rummaging through an old barrel and he felt a couple of books at the bottom of the barrel. Blackstone's Commentaries. Something happened to Mr. Lincoln that day. He read those books... Blackstone was the basic lawyer uh, of the day, and Mr. Lincoln became a lawyer. It changed his direction. He got into politics. He became the president of the United States, and it all started with rummaging in a barrel. 
John Calvin, the great reformer, was on his way to Italy and war broke out. The road that he was going to take to Italy was blockaded, so he went to Geneva. And that was a change in his life that literally changed many lives. He was the forerunner of the Presbyterian church that started in Switzerland. George Whitfield was a bartender in England. He couldn't get along with his brother's wife. His brother owned the bar, so George left. It was out of that experience that he turned to God. He went to Oxford, became part of the Holy Club with John Wesley, and literally changed England and turned it around with open-air evangelism. Every detail of your life, God knows. Everything is appropriate in its time. The God who sets eternity in our hearts is the same one who knows every moment and every step. He brings about the fullness of time. Back in 1980, I told you about 1976, went to uh, Northwest, uh, started on my, my degree. Uh, I graduated in 1980, and there wasn't one church in our fellowship open at that time. And I was really kind of struggling. What am I going to do? And a friend who I'd gone to seminary with was in Fort McMurray. He says, hey, come on up here and uh, manage the furniture store with me. So we did that, got to know Pastor Bruce Mateka from the church up there. 1984, we had left that, kind of wondering, God, why on earth did you put us for two years up in the frozen north? And in you know, the first winter we were there, it was minus 40 for 12 weeks. Uh, went through three transmissions in the shop truck. It was just, it was like bad. And then I got a phone call in 1984 from Bruce Mateka. And he said, I'm going to Armstrong, but I'm not going to get there for six months. Will you do the church? Will you be interim pastor there? And that was my connection into full-time ministry. If I hadn't done the Fort McMurray struggle, I would never have met Bruce. If Christmas tells me anything, it is that God and his sovereign timing knows all about you. He knows all about me. These little insignificant things in every day of life are all together for his glory. Nothing stays the same. Doors open, doors close, options today become non-negotiables tomorrow. And when the pieces all come together, the Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. You know, you talk to Mary and all the things that were happening in her life. If there's anything I learn about Christmas, when God speaks, don't miss the moment. Nothing stays the same. God has a marvelous sense of timing. And for some of you, today is the day. For some of you, maybe it's been a journey. All these things that you've gone through are for this moment, where you reach out and you touch God, and God touches you. I want to know God. I don't want to miss the moment. See, Christmas is all about timing, and that's important for us to seek God while he may be found, to call upon him while he is near. 